Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark, and we're calling it the simple gospel because here at Redemption, we really truly believe that the gospel is simple, but that doesn't mean that it's um, not necessarily confusing because let's just be honest, there are some times in some parts of the Bible that we read and we're like, yeah, that is a little bit, that is a little confusing. So what I want to do is I wanted to ask people, what is some of the most confusing sections or parts of the Bible that you have wrestled with over the years, and I wanted to get a good response, and so I asked, you know, who else do you ask when you have a really big question besides Facebook, because Facebook has all of the answers, and so I got on Facebook this week, and I asked the question, what is the most confusing part or section of the Bible that you have wrestled with over the years, and I got some, I got some really amazing answers, because anytime you read the comment section in Facebook, it is pretty amazing, and so I, I asked, what's the question, and some people, they've wrestled with a lot Lots of different questions. Some of them were in regards regards to the Old Testament. They were like, okay, tell me about Noah's flood, right? Was it a local flood? Was it a global flood? And then what happened to all the sea creatures? I mean, that really is a, that's a good question. Some people were like, okay, well, why did Hosea marry a prostitute? You read that and you're like, hmm, that's a little interesting. That could be a little confusing. Some people, um, theirs was in regards to the New Testament. As they read it, they're like, okay, Ananias and Sapphira, God killed them for lying about their money. Like that's, that's a little confusing. Some people were like, what about the book of Revelation? Listen, if you can figure that out, you let me know. Because the church has been really confused by that for like 2,000 years. And if you have some secret insight, please, like we, we really need you. Um, other people, they're like, well, tell me about Paul, 1 Corinthians. That's a little confusing. Women wear head coverings and be silent in the church. You read that, you're like, oh boy, right? It can be a little confusing because sometimes Paul's confusing. Sometimes the Bible is confusing. And so we're not talking about any of those today though. Okay. Those are all great questions, but that was really just an intention getter. Did it work? Right. My whole hope in telling you that was that you would stop looking at your phone and you would start paying attention to me. Maybe that worked, but those are great questions, but we're actually not going to be discussing any of those questions. We're going to be talking about something a little different. And it's a question that I've wrestled with for many years. And the question is, why was Jesus baptized? You think about it and you're like, well, that doesn't seem as confusing as the other ones, right? I mean, compared to those other ones, that doesn't seem to be very confusing. Well, you can come up here and preach and I'll sit there and listen to you since you're so smart. Um, it really is a confusing question because we recap last week, John the Baptist comes and why are people baptized? He says for the repentance of sins, right? And so we see that people are baptized, sinners are baptized as an outward expression of an inward sign showing they have repented and they have been forgiven of their sins. So who gets baptized? Sinners, question, did Jesus have any sin? No, right? Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus lived a perfect life. There was no faults, no flaws, no failures in Jesus. Therefore, he had nothing to repent of, nothing to be forgiven of. Therefore, he had no reason to be baptized. Boom, head explosion, right? It, is a, it really is curious as why would Jesus be baptized? And so, so that's what we're gonna be discussing today, the baptism of Jesus. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter one. We're gonna start in verse one, uh, sorry, verse nine. And I'm really excited to teach this section because I think that after 12 years of following Jesus, I finally landed the plane on what it is that I believe about why Jesus would be baptized. And to be honest, it's not very complicated. It was actually very simple. And so here's the big idea. Jesus' baptism shows us who he is so that we can know who we are. That Jesus' baptism shows us who he is, so that way we can know who we are. And I got three verses and I got three points for you. Today we're going to be looking at Jesus's humanity, Jesus's divinity, and Jesus's identity. If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter one, verse nine, we're going to read it all, three verses, and then we're going to unpack it on the back end. So here's what Mark says. Mark comes and he says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son 
with you I am well pleased. Mark starts by saying, in those days. What he's doing is he is setting up the scene. He is about to introduce us to Jesus. We're three weeks into Mark's gospel, and now we're finally going to get to meet Jesus. Mark's saying, okay, here he is. Jesus is coming. He is setting the stage. He is setting the scene for the story of Jesus, and Jesus' story starts with John. And we met John last week, John the Baptist, and he is the greatest man who has ever lived in the history of the world, and he has come to prepare the way. He is the promised messenger to open up the doors, to prepare people's hearts, to receive from the Messiah, and John comes, and John, John is a preacher. I love John because he preaches, and his message is a message of repentance and of baptism and of the Holy Spirit, and he loves to talk about things that churches just really don't love to talk about because that's the type of ministry in which John has. And John is just standing in a river, and, and he's just preaching, he's saying, you need to repent, you need to turn from your sins, you need to get down in this water, and you need to be baptized. Like, that's who John is. And it says that the entire country was coming to listen to the message of John. This could be upwards of three 300,000 people over a period of six months are just coming to be yelled at by this prophet in the woods talking about the coming of the Messiah and repentance and baptism. And that's, that's who John was. And John, John was a very big deal. At this point, we would say that John was trending. Okay, John is number one on iTunes. Okay, he's, he's, he's on your Twitter feed. Okay, he's, he's in your suggested news feed on Facebook or on Instagram. You could download a Snapchat filter with bugs and honey and locusts. That's who John was. And everybody was looking to John. John was on CNN. John was on Fox News. John was not on MSNBC because they don't cover anything good. But John... Right, people were looking to and talking about John the Baptist. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. Some people liked him. Some people wanted to kill him, but they kept showing up with his face on t-shirts that said hope and a hat that says make Jerusalem great again. That's who John was. John was a very big deal. And John, he's standing in the river and he's saying, repent, 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 repent. And people just keep showing up and he just keeps dunking them in the water. And then Jesus comes. Okay, I want you to just imagine, what is, what is John's response? Like, what would you do if you were John? So John, he's just like, you're a sinner, splash, next. You're a sinner, splash, next. You're a sinner, splash, next. You're, you're Jesus. What a predicament I'm in, right? Jesus, I don't know if you know this, you're in the wrong line. Okay, this is the line for sinners. There's a whole nother line for you. Okay, there's only two lines in the world. Okay, there's, there's sinners, you and I, and there's Jesus. Okay, Jesus gets his own line. Jesus is in the wrong line. John's like, well, what are you doing in this line? In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us that, that he says, you know, Jesus, we need to, we need to trade places. Because I'm sinful, you're sinless, you need to baptize me. And so he has this little interaction with Jesus, and he is confused. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? See, if anyone would understand the significance of baptism, you would think it would be the man that we call the Baptist. But even he's confused, and it really is quite curious. So here's what we're looking at. We're going to see three things. We're going to see Jesus's humanity, Jesus's divinity, and Jesus's identity. The first thing it shows us is that Jesus was baptized for his humanity. Here's what it says. Mark gives us the shortest summary statement, and this is simply what he says, of the early days of Jesus' life. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So where does it say that Jesus comes from? Nazareth, right? Okay, he, he didn't just materialize. Okay, he didn't, he didn't just float down from heaven. He didn't just appear, right, 30 years old, coming onto the scene. No, it says Jesus came from somewhere. This means that Jesus, that, that he lived an ordinary life, that he grew up as you and I grow up, that he comes from Nazareth. We know that Jesus has a family. 
The Bible tells us that he has a mother named Mary who conceived him by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born. He was adopted by a man named Joseph who loved him and cared for him and uh, provided for him. Elsewhere in Mark's gospel, we meet that Jesus also has real brothers and, and real sisters. And so Jesus, he has a family and Jesus was born just as we were born, that Jesus had to grow as we grow, that he, you know, he cried like we cried. He learned to walk and he had to learn to talk, that he had to learn how to read and write and to make his bed and to ride his bike and to have sustained relationships with one another because Jesus lived a life just like us. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and others. And so by all accounts, Jesus lived a very normal, ordinary, standard childhood type experience, that Jesus was just like us. In addition, it says that he comes from Nazareth. Now, this is very important because where you come from really says a lot about who you are, right? If you were to meet me and I were to say, um, you're like, hey, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from New York. You'd be like, ooh, New York, that's cool, right? Oh, do you know Jay-Z? Because everybody in New York knows, right? No, but that's what you're wondering. Oh, what's it like growing up in New York? Was it the city or was it upstate? Oh, upstate, never mind, right? You understand because you're from, now, if I were to meet you and I were to say, okay, I'm from England. You were like, ooh, say something funny, right? Say something charming, right? Because I want to hear your accent. And so it really says something about where you're from. Now, if I were to tell you I'm from Deweyville, you're like, oh, at least you got out. Like that's, that's what people think about when they think about Deweyville because there's really nothing in there, right? And so question is, where did Jesus come from? Did Jesus come from New York? No. Did Jesus come from England? No. Jesus was from Deweyville. That's the type of town in which Nazareth is. Jesus meets a man named John, um, rather Nathaniel, in the Gospel of John. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? The answer, of course, is no. Right? Nothing can good can come from Nazareth. It's a very small rural town, probably a lot like Deweyville, that it had you know, one red light, one market basket, and a Dairy Queen. That's about all that was in Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grows up, and that's where Jesus comes from. That the people in that town, they'd have been um, humble, they'd have been rural, most likely uneducated, uh, illiterate. They would have been blue collar, working class people, Nomex wearing, hammer swing, Coors Light drinking. That's the type of people that most likely lived in the town of Nazareth. That's Jesus's humble beginnings. And some of you, this is exactly where you find yourself at. Now, many of you, you come from very humble beginnings, that you come from small towns where no one really does anything and no one really knows your name. Some of you, you, you struggle financially. Some of you are working part-time jobs. Maybe you're overworked or underworked at a plant or a hospital or as a teacher. Some of you are in college taking out student loans. Some of you are single moms raising your kids. And I want you to know that Jesus understands that because Jesus was fully man like us that Jesus understands the struggle. Jesus understands the hardship. Jesus understands the frustration. Jesus understands the emotions. Jesus understands the difficulties because Jesus comes and he lives a life just like us. We see Jesus's humanity. And so Jesus, he grows up, he leaves Nazareth, he comes forward to get baptized by John. Now up until this point, there's nothing that Jesus has done, right? Jesus, he's living his life in obscurity, Right, he's not in a palace, right? He's just living a basic normal life in obscurity. He's never preached, he's never healed anybody, he's never performed a miracle, he's never cast out a demon, he's never walked on water, right? He hasn't atoned for the sins of the world. There's nothing that Jesus has done. He's lived 30 years of his life in obscurity, then he comes to be baptized by John to start his ministry, but not with a bang, but rather with a baptism. Now, why would Jesus start his ministry like this? It really is a great question, and I'm glad that you asked. You're always right where I need you to be when I'm transitioning in my sermon. It's just amazing how y'all do that. I'm not sure, but since you asked why Jesus was baptized, I'll go ahead and I'll answer, but we're going to play a game. 
Okay, we're going to play a little game, and it's going to be fun. We're going to take a theology test. Some of you are like, can theology be fun? It's supposed to be fun. So we're going to take a test. Um, get out a piece of paper if you're taking notes, or maybe in your phone, and just one through ten. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions, true or false. Okay, and, and there is no prize for the game except for you get to sound smart to your friends. But we're going to take a true or false, and I'm going to need some audience participation. I'm going to ask you ten questions about why Jesus was baptized, and then you're going to say whether you think it's true or whether you think it's false, okay? And so I'm going to need some help because if you don't help me, well, then it's going to get really boring very fast and we don't want that. So I'm going to ask a question and then you give an answer. Tell it is what you think. The first question is, why was Jesus baptized? Jesus was baptized to repent of his sins. What do you think? False. You guys are good, right? Yeah, that's an easy one to start off. That Jesus, he, he, he didn't have any sin. So his baptism wasn't for the repentance of his sins. That he lived his life perfect. That he lived his life sinless. And so one of the reasons Jesus was baptized could not possibly be for the repentance of his sins. So that's false. How about this one? Jesus wanted to be famous. What do you think? False. Good. Some people say that Jesus's baptism was all just a big elaborate scheme to steal the ministry from John the Baptist. That Jesus just wanted to steal the show from John, but we know that's not true because John actually hands all of his followers off to Jesus, says he must increase, I must decrease, and then Jesus lived his life as a servant and died completely alone, and so if that was his plan, Jesus didn't do a very good job. So we know that that's not true. It's false. How about this one? Number three, um, Jesus was endorsing John's ministry. True. True. Yes. You guys, yeah, man. Um, it's a little trickier than the others, um, but John, he was the messenger prophesied by Malachi 400 years earlier. And so the whole of John's purpose was to prepare people's hearts for Jesus. And so John comes preaching. John comes getting them ready. John is faithful. John's done his job. And then Jesus steps in the water and says, everything he said is absolutely true. Here I am. It was an endorsement for the ministry of John. How about this one? Next, um, Jesus set an example for Christians. True. True, yes. Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he was unwilling to do himself. And so Jesus sets an example for what it means for us to follow him through his baptism, that he starts his ministry the same place that we start ours through a baptism and following after him. So he's setting a precedent and a pattern for people who are to follow after him. It's an example. How about this one? Number five, um, Jesus was covering his ignorance. False. Yeah, some of you are like, why, does, I'm not, why is that even in there? I don't I never heard that before. Some people, um, there's an ancient uh, false gospel known as the Gospel of the Nazarene. And what it says is, it's a Gnostic text written about 300 AD. What it says is that um, it's supposed to cover the silent years or the early years or the lost years of the life of Jesus. And it'll say that Mary, Jesus's mother, heard about John and said, Jesus, we need to go get you baptized. And Jesus is like, I don't know, why would I need to get baptized? And Mary's like, well, maybe there's something that you did someday that you knocked over a lamp. And I think he blamed your brother, James. I'm not really sure. But we need to get you baptized just in case. And so Jesus, ignorant of who he is, he goes and he's baptized okay, just in case to cover his ignorance. Okay, this is obviously false, right? There's not ever a time where Jesus is unaware of who he is. Okay, but I tell you this, and it is important because there is a resurgence of false teachings in American culture where people are thinking they've discovered some new secret about the life of Christ. That this is popular in pagan and new age um, spirituality and very popular when people get their theology from YouTube and they come out and they say all these sorts of things. If you don't know your Bible, then you will be deceived. And so this is obviously false. Right? It's, not, it's not to cover Jesus' ignorance. How about this one? Number six, Jesus was adopted by the Father at his baptism. False. Good job. Jesus was not adopted by the Father, but rather he is one with the Father. Some people will say that through Jesus' baptism, he ascended into his divinity, that he achieved godlike status by being, um, doing good works, good deeds, and by living a good life. God saw him and says, okay, I'm going to adopt him, and then Jesus became like God. Okay, that's obviously false. Okay, that Jesus was always fully man, 
fully God. That's the way that he was in his life. And so he wasn't adopted by the father at his baptism. Okay, how about this one? Uh, Jesus wanted to be identified with sinners. True. True. Good. Um, if Jesus was going to be crucified between two thieves, then it makes sense that he would be baptized in between two sinners. And so Jesus identifies with us, that Jesus comes and enters into this world, and he lives a life just like you and I, and he enters into our existence. The prophet Isaiah says he would be counted among with the transgressors. So Jesus identifies with us, although he is unlike us without sin. So it's an identity. And then number where are we at? Number eight, Jesus hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. This one's a little tricky. Okay, I'm going to say it's false. Okay, some people say, well, at the baptism, he received the Holy Spirit. Okay, what I'm going to say is at the baptism, he revealed the Holy Spirit. That, that all of Jesus' life was by the Holy Spirit. We see that he's consumed, uh, he's conceived rather by the Holy Spirit. Mary, his mother, is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's raised in a spirit-filled home. His uncle and his aunt were filled with the Holy Spirit. His cousin John the Baptist in his mother's womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the Spirit working even in the early days of Jesus' life, setting up the scene. So I do not believe that this is where he received the Spirit, but rather this is where he revealed the Spirit at work already in his life okay how about this one number nine jesus baptism began his ministry true this is how jesus begins his ministry with his baptism okay um all of his life before this he was in obscurity right swinging a hammer blue collar job with his you know adopted dad named joe just living a basic normal life 30 years goes by he comes from nazareth to be baptized by john and this begins his ministry one commentator i read said that this is a clean break in jesus life that his old days of carpentry are gone his new days of deliverance and redeeming all mankind have come And so this is a clean break showing that Jesus cannot go back to his old life. And that's what baptism, that's what baptism means for us, that we can't go back to our old lives. There's a clean break that our old life is gone. Our new life has come and we're to continue to follow him. So Jesus begins his ministry with his baptism as you and I begin our new life with a baptism. And then number 10, lastly, um, are you guys still with me? Okay. Do y'all feel smart? You're going to go and press your friends over lunch. I know. Number 10. Jesus' baptism foreshadows his death, burial, and his resurrection. True. His baptism is a prophetic declaration of the purpose and goal and the reason in which Jesus came, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be died, that he was going to bury, and that he would be resurrected. So Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, Jesus' life from the very beginning was pointing to and showing you exactly why he came to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected so that way we can live with him. And so the baptism of Jesus makes no sense apart from the cross of Jesus and at his baptism, we see that his full humanity is on display, that he came to live like us, to identify with us, to be baptized as us. We see his humanity, but we also see so much more than his humanity. Not only is he fully man, but we also know that he's fully God. So here's, here's what he says next, okay? When he, being Jesus, comes up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove and the voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. Now, remember at this point, nobody knows who Jesus is. Okay, Jesus is just some dude standing in line to get baptized, right? He's got Steve in front of him. He's got, you know, Sarah behind him. And there's Jesus right in the middle. And everybody else is just getting baptized. And then he comes up and John the Baptist is there. He recognizes him. He sees him and says, okay, hold on, hold on. We got we to gotta figure this out. They have this little interaction. John agrees. Okay, well, I'm going to baptize you. And as soon as Jesus goes under the water, he comes up, the heavens open up, the spirit descends, right? God, the father speaks, this must have been amazing, right? Could you imagine if you were there that day, right? You're just kind of standing in the water and everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to get baptized. Heavens open up, right? You're like, what? The spirit descends like a dove. God, the father speaks. This is my son. You're like, oh my Lord, right? I should lay off the burritos. This is a crazy moment. Like, what would you do in that place, right? And some people are like, well, I don't really believe that Jesus was God. 
Hey, I believe that Jesus was a man. Of course, he lived, right? We have, you know, evidence, and we could point to it. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. Sure, Jesus was a man. He's a good man. He's probably a good teacher. He probably said some good things, but all that stuff about him being God, I mean, people don't really believe that, do they? All that stuff about him becoming a God, you would think that if Jesus was God, there would be some, at least some evidence about what he said or how he lived. And some people are like, well, if God would just reveal himself, I was like, okay, well, I think he has, okay, and you still didn't listen to him, okay, because here it says, the heavens opened up. You're like, that's not impressive, right? The heavens open, the heavens open up all the time, right? There's just some natural phenomenon, theological, you know, meteorological explanation for it. You know, I mean, the heavens open up. That's, that's not really that big of a deal. My cousin once told me that the heavens open. I don't know. It was just a crazy story. That's not really, that's not what happened. Okay. How about this? The spirit descended like a dove. You're like, I think it was more of a pigeon. Um, was that a dove? I don't really know. I think I had something in my eye. Okay, maybe it was mass hysteria. Maybe it was hallucination. Maybe it was just your imagination. I, I don't really believe that. Okay, how about the audible voice of God from heaven saying, this is my son. And you're still, like, says who? Says the voice of God, the Father, right, from heaven, just saying, this is my son, this is, you're like, I don't really agree with you, right, let me talk to your manager, okay, there is no manager, right, he's God, you're like, ah, you know, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk to your boss, he is the boss, okay, there is no one above him, there is no authority greater than him, you can't go any higher than God the Father, right, he is God, he, he's, he, and he created everything, that he holds all existence together, time, he, he made the nations, he made the continents, he made mountains and valleys. You can't argue with that. You can't go above him, the king and ruler of kingdoms and nations and empires and heaven and earth. I mean, it's God, right? He has authority. And God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. The spirit descends, the heavens open up, showing that Jesus lives his life completely connected with access to the Father. And the whole Trinity is right there. The whole Trinity is present. It's like a family reunion, right? Jesus comes up, the Spirit goes down, the Father speaks, and all of this is pointing to one of the clearest indicators of the divinity of Jesus that we see in the entire scriptures. The Father is saying, this is it. This is, this is the one you've been looking for. This is the one that you have been longing for. This is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the one that scripture was written in regards to. This is the one that all history is pointing towards. This is the one that John has prophesied and prepared the way for. Here he is. This is it. This is your moment. This is Jesus. It's the clearest indicator of the divinity of Jesus, one of that we see in the Bible. And let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, at Redemption, we love Jesus. So let me, let me just tell you about Jesus, that Jesus is the most important, the most significant person who has ever lived in the history of the world, that more songs have been sung about him, more books have been written in regards of him, that more people stand and worship him, that more paintings have been painted of him than any other person who has ever walked on the face of this planet. There is no one who has ever been like Jesus, and the church of Jesus Christ is the most monumental movement that this world has ever seen. 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ is still here. You could try to stamp us out. You can try to shut us up, but we're not going anywhere. That kings and kingdoms have risen and fallen. That politicians and presidents and kings and queens have lived and died that empires have just fallen to the ground but the church of Jesus Christ remains steadfast persevering growing and right now there are three billion people on this planet worshiping serving loving Jesus Christ as God because Jesus is God and this flies in the face of every single religion in in the world Right? There has been no other like, prominent religious leader who has ever declared himself to be God. That Muhammad never said, I am God. That Buddha never said, I am God. That Krishna never said, I am God. That Abraham, that Moses never said, I am God. But at the baptism of Jesus, we fully see who he is, that Jesus is God. And this flies in the face of every other religion because all religions say, if you do this, then you can make your way to 
to God. That if you follow these rules and these regulations, then you can make your way to God. If you follow these steps and you follow these traditions, then you can make your way to God. That if you read this translation and you dress this way, then you can make your way to God. That if you were to reincarnate and pay off your karmic debt, then you can make your way to God. That if you were to travel to these holy places, give this much money, follow this holy person, then you can make your way to God. That you can become your own God. But in Christianity, we see that we do not make our way to God, but God has made his way to us. That we don't become like God, but God has become like us. That we don't become one with God, but God rather has become one of us. That God has humbly entered into human existence, that he came to live the life just as you and I would live, but he lived the life without sin, the perfect life. That he goes to the cross in our place, dies the death that we deserve, the death for sin. That Jesus stands or hangs on that cross, receives it him the penalty the punishment so that he could become the ransom that jesus lived his life just like us god becomes a man to live as we live to breathe as we breathe to weep as we weep to mourn as we mourn to have joy as we have joy to suffer as we suffer and to die as we die so that by him to him for him from him we can live a life with him jesus is god amen And I told you at the beginning that the whole purpose of Jesus' baptism is to show us who Jesus is. And so we see that Jesus is fully man, but we also see that Jesus is fully God. We see his humanity, we see his divinity, and all this culminates into Jesus' identity because God the Father speaks, and listen to this, the Father is going to speak Okay, for 400 years, it's been silent. There's been no voice of God. No one's heard from God. No one's experienced God. And then God the Father, he's going to speak, and he says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Father speaks over the son. Now, this is very important. Anytime you see that word son, you need to pay very careful attention. Okay, we've already seen in Mark 1.1, that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, this is a mega theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. Okay, in, in, in Mark's Gospel, I believe it's 124 times, Jesus refers to himself as the Son, as the Son of God. And elsewhere through the Gospels, 164 times, Jesus refers to God as his Father. What he's showing is that there is a close, intimate, personal relationship between the two, the Father and the Son. Okay, now this is unheard of in Jewish culture. Okay, uh, in the Old Testament, um, God is never referred to as a father. Okay, it's always a couple of times as a metaphor um, corporately, but never, but never individually. It's in reference to the nation of Israel, but it's never in reference to a certain individual because they didn't have a frame of reference. They didn't understand God as a father. Okay, and that's one of the reasons why when Jesus comes along and he says, you know, father and son, that the religious leaders, they sought to kill him because by saying that he is the son, he is making himself one with the father. That's why elsewhere in the gospels, Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you have seen the father. And the father and I, we are one. He's declaring himself to be equal with God, saying he is the son of God. And this is one of the reasons that the religious leaders sought to have Jesus murdered because they didn't understand Jesus's identity. In addition, Roman culture... This is not very popular either, because for the Romans, they had a son of God. His name was Caesar, that he was their king. And for the Romans, he was their son of God. See, whenever someone became the king, they would put themselves up on their throne and they would deify themselves by saying, I am the son of God, which means they come from, come from God that they have the same essence, the same substance, the same source. They're made up of the same stuff and they're to be worshiped and they're to be honored because they use that title to be able to have their dominion and their rule and their reign and their authority. Okay? And so the Romans, well, they rejected this because they didn't understand Jesus' identity. 
And so Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 you're both wrong. I am the son of God. And the father speaks over the son and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, showing that Jesus is one with God, that Jesus is the same with God, that Jesus is equal with God, that Jesus has the same substance, the same source, the same essence, the same stuff as God, that Jesus alone is worthy of glory and honor and power and prominence and praise and that he is to be glorified and that he is to be worshiped and that he is to be followed because he rules and he reigns with authority. That is his identity, that Jesus is the son and the father is well pleased with him. This is a clear indicator of who Jesus is. Now question, up until that point, what has Jesus done? to be able to hear the Father say, with you I am pleased. He hasn't preached. He's never even spoken a word in Mark's gospel yet. We haven't heard from him. He hasn't cast out a demon. He hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't fed 5,000 nor 4,000. He hasn't you know, transfigured, gone to the cross, atoned for the sins of the world. Up until this point, Jesus probably never even left Nazareth. And still the father says, this is my son with you. I am well pleased. Why? Why would God the father say that to the son when he had done nothing? The answer is, because they have relationship. Because Jesus knew who his father was. Jesus started not with his activities, but with his identity. Jesus began knowing, I am the son whom the father is pleased. See, before Jesus went and did anything, he started here. From here, Jesus is going to go do some amazing things. But he does all of those things from his identity and not for his identity. Jesus knows that the approval of his father doesn't come from his performance, but rather from his identity. Jesus lives all of his life in personal, constant relationship with God as the father. That all of Jesus's life was with his father. That Jesus, he, he, he prayed with his father. That Jesus spent time with his father. That Jesus, he walked with his his father, that Jesus, he worked with his father, that Jesus, he obeyed the will of his father, that Jesus loved the father, that Jesus lived for the father. And with his dying breath, his dying breath, he held the hand of his father by saying into your hands, I commit my spirit. And before Jesus does any of those things, the father says to him, you are my son and with you, I am well Please, because that is Jesus's identity. And I told you at the very beginning that the big idea for this sermon is that Jesus's baptism shows us who he is so that way we can know who we are. And if you are a Christian, if you have put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, then I got really good news for you that Jesus identity becomes your identity, that Jesus life becomes your life, that the same blessings and benefits that have been afforded to Jesus Christ have now been given to you because you are in him and you share with his identity that Jesus life is now your life and some of you you don't believe me you're hearing me you're like no 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 that's Jesus I'm not Jesus that's Jesus identity that's not my identity that's his life that's definitely not my life and so you're resistant and reticent and you do not believe me so I got a bible verse here just to convince you Romans chapter 8 for all who are led by the spirit of God that's what it means to be a Christian If you are a Christian, then you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God, the Holy Spirit, just as he descended upon Jesus, has now entered into you, that he indwells inside of you, that he makes your heart his home, he leads you. If you are a Christian, then you are led of the Spirit of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into your fear. Some of you are fearful because you don't know who your father is. Some of you are still slaves because you don't know that you're sons. Some of you are still in doubt because you don't know that you're a daughter. 
He speaks over you. The Spirit cries out. He says, you have received the Spirit of adoption, that God wants you, that God chose you, that God called you, that God loves you, that God has adopted you, by whom we cry, our hearts cry, our spirits cry, our souls cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, He's my dad. He's my father. He's my dad. He loves me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's never going to forget me. He's never going to walk out on me. He's never going to turn his back on me. He's never going to abuse me. He's never going to abandon me. He's never going to give up on me because he loves me. He is my my father and God speaks that you are my son and you are my daughter and you are my daughter and you are my son and you're my daughter and you're my daughter and you're my son and you're my son and these are my boys and these are my girls and these are my kids and I love them and I've given myself for them and have chosen them and have adopted you and I am well pleased with you. Listen to me. There is nothing that you could do that would make the father love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you could do that would make the Father love you any less than He already does. Before you do anything, the Father is pleased. That is where your identity begins. Some of you struggle with this. And I told you at the beginning that this is confusing, not because it's theological, but because it's relational. I'll be willing to bet that a lot of your obstacles in faith are not theological, but rather they're relational. That you struggle and strain to understand this because you don't know the Father heart of God. That you haven't come to understand the affection that a father has towards their child. And so you don't understand the Father heart of God. Many of you, you've spent your entire life longing to hear the words that the Father speaks over his son. I'm pleased. Many of you, for most of your life, you never had a dad who told you they loved you, a dad who would hug you, a dad who would spend time with you, a dad who protected you, a dad who prayed over you, a dad who told the world, I'm pleased with you, I'm proud of you, who publicly affirmed you. You never had a dad tell you, I'm pleased. And so you struggle to understand this, not because it's theological, but because it's relational. And many of you have been spending your entire life trying to earn the approval and affection of other people because you didn't know that you had a Father in heaven who was already pleased. And so for you, you struggle. You don't understand God like this. You don't know how because you don't know who you are. Or should I say you don't know whose you are. You struggle with this because, well, it's hard to understand God as a Father. Right now we're living in a fatherless epidemic. 40% of kids are going to go to bed tonight without a dad. Some of you, you had good dads. You had a dad who loved you. You had a dad who prayed for you. You had a dad who would bring you to church. You had a dad who would play catch with you. You had a dad who would let you dress him up like a princess and watch Moana. You had a dad like that. Praise God for you. Right? If you had a dad like that, you need to go home. You need to call them and say thank you so much. If you had a dad like that, you need to know you're like a unicorn and you could basically have church in a phone booth. That's how many people there are like you. But for the rest of us, we didn't have dads. Whenever Ashley told me she was pregnant with our little girl, I was terrified because I didn't have a dad. There's a lot riding and I could really mess this up. I was terrified because I didn't have a dad. Ashley, my wife, she was raised without a dad. She was raised by a single mom, no father in the picture. I was raised, no father in the picture. Right, my mom, she was pregnant with me at 14, had me at 15, dropped me off at my grandparents' house. My grandparents raised me, but I didn't have a dad. In fact, I didn't even know what my dad's name was until I was in first grade. And then all I knew, his name was Jason. I remember playing with my friends when we were little kids and we'd play with our little G.I. Joes and action figures and we had to pick a name for our character and I always picked the name Jason in hopes that I'd finally have a hero and I'd finally have a dad. There's an identity that only comes when you know your father. 
I was raised by my grandparents. I had great parents, great grandparents. They loved the Lord. They were faithful. They were generous. They taught me about Jesus. In fact, our church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the prayers of my grandparents. My grandparents are actually deacons in our church. For the last 32 years, they've hit their knees every single day praying for this moment. And so this church is really a response of God on the prayers and the fasting and the generosity of my grandparents. But still, there's an identity that only comes when you know your father. See, they raised me. They, they, they played catch with me. They took me to my taekwondo tournaments. They dragged me to church even when I didn't want to go. I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for my grandparents. But still, there's an identity that only comes when you know who your father is. I had a lot of friends, but I never had a father. I made decent grades, but I never had a father. I was good at sports, but I never had a father. I had a lot of trophies, but I never had a father. And no matter how hard I tried, or how successful I was, or how far I ran, or how hard I rebelled, something in the back of my mind was still telling me, he doesn't love you, he doesn't care for you, he was never there for you, he doesn't even know your name. There's an identity that comes only when you know your father. I had a friend in high school who he had a dad, but he had a bad dad. Some of you, that's your experience. You had a bad dad. His dad would let him do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, with whomever he wanted. His dad didn't care. Some people think that's cool, but that's a bad dad. And his dad was absent. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad was abusive. And the time that he did get to spend with his dad, they would get drunk together. And his dad got drunk, his dad got violent. His dad used to hit him. And I'll never forget one day he told me, he said, I hate my dad. I said, well, at least you have a dad. And he said, at least yours never hit you. There's an identity that only comes when you know your father. All of our lives are determined by the standard of our father. Little boys, they grow up and they judge their success based upon the standard of their father. Little girls grow up, they judge men based upon the standards of their father. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but always by their dad. And some of you are like me and you say, but I never had a father. Well, your life was determined by the empty chair at your dining room table. There's an identity that only comes when you know who your father is. So whenever I became a Christian at the age of 20, I kept hearing people talk about God is a father, God is a father, God is a father, God is a father. I hated that. I didn't like it. It was annoying. I didn't believe it. God is a father. No, 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 no. no. Jesus, right? I love Jesus. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, right? God is a father. Nah. I really wrestled with that. I could say God, I could say Lord, but I couldn't even pray the most basic of prayers, our Father who art in heaven. Because for years, I had projected the failures of my earthly father onto that of my heavenly father. And as I was praying and I was preparing for this message today, I just kept feeling as if the father was saying they're struggling because they don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. They don't know their sons. They don't know their daughters. They don't know their father. They don't know that before they did anything, the father was pleased. And I just kept feeling and hearing that this is some of y'all's objections to faith is because you don't understand the father heart of God. And God wanted me to speak over you today that you're his son and you're his daughter and you're his son and you're his daughter. And with you, he is pleased because of Jesus. What Jesus has accomplished for you, the pleasure of the father has been satisfied by the sacrifice of the son. And some of you, you struggle with this. That you're so fearful in life because you don't know who your father is. That you struggle so much because you don't know the sacrifice that the son has made. This is very difficult. That many of you, you're paralyzed and you're terrified. You're afraid to do anything because you don't know who you are. That if you knew who the Father was, then you would recognize that you are free. 
And so you keep going back and, and back and back and you're paralyzed and terrified. But you don't know the Father's pleased. Some of you, you're reticent and you're resistant towards the Lord because you don't know Him as your Father. And so you don't spend time with God. You don't pray with God. You don't read the Word of God. You're not connected to the family of God because you don't understand the Father heart of God. I want you to know that the Father loves you. The Father has chosen you. The Father has adopted you. The Father is pleased with you. That's where your identity begins. Before you do anything, it starts with His love for you. That is your identity. Son, daughter, the Father is pleased. That's where it begins. As we close, I'll tell you a story. It happened to me this week as we were getting ready for this. There's one verse in this section that kind of stood out to me, and I didn't really understand fully what that meant. It was the part where it says, the heavens tore open. The only other time that this wording is used is after Jesus' crucifixion when the temple veil was tore open. And what that signifies for us is that we have access to the Father. That just as Jesus lived his life with this continual access in relationship with the Father, through him, we have that same access. And so I was thinking, like, how is this going to work? What does this look like? And as I'm sitting in my office at my house, because I work from home, all of a sudden I hear a tapping at the door. And then the door just flings wide open. And there stands my beautiful 17-month-old little girl. And she throws her arms wide open and she says, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And she runs to my office where I'm sitting on my couch and she grabs onto my leg and she says, Daddy, 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 up, 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 Daddy, Daddy, up. And she climbs into my lap and she puts her head on my chest and she looks at me in the eyes and she says, Daddy, that is the access you have with your Father in heaven. You can go to him. See, immediately for me, I wasn't busy anymore. Whatever I was working on, it didn't matter. I put it down because she's my daughter. That is the access you have with your father. Some of you, it's been a long time since you've spent time with your father. You need to see him today. Jesus' baptism shows us who he is so that we can know who we are. He is fully God. He is fully man. And you are fully loved. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 930 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.